Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we come before your presence this morning with thanksgiving for all that you have given us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, our God and King. Amen. So we've been asking this question, is this in the Bible? Uh, And most of the time, the answer has been no. So is this in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. Is it in the Bible? Is it in the Bible? No, thank you. All right. But it does sound very Christian um, <clears throat> in some way or the other. It just sounds very religious, if you will. Uh, there was a research done by Barna Group uh, that calls different Americans living all across the country and uh, asked them different questions. And they, one of the questions that they posed was, is this in the Bible? God helps those who help themselves. And majority of Americans said, yes, that is in the Bible. So there are a lot of our friends and neighbors who think that this is in the Bible. In my opinion, uh, this phrase uh, communicates two things. First, the reason God is not moving in someone's life is because they're not doing enough. If only, if only they did a little bit more, God would help them. That God would show up in their lives if only they were willing to do a little. That is the impetus. The impetus here is on the individual to get cracking, to get moving, so that God can do something in their lives. And also when you say this statement, uh, God helps those who help themselves, it's also kind of giving a little bit of a judgment to those who are sitting around and not doing anything for their lives. There are people who would be there. Like, you know, we would look down on these people and say, if only they did something, God would show up on their lives. We'd be judging them. I had a friend of mine um, who always felt like he had the moral high ground. Um, And um, I'm sure you have a friend like this too. Uh, But this buddy of mine, he would always use this. He felt like he had a moral high ground. I don't know what he had, but he felt like he had a solution for every problem any of us in the friend circle we're experiencing. He was a believer in this phrase. You know what your problem is? Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Hey, you know what your problem is? And then, remarkably, my buddy would share his wisdom. He would say, you need to do this and this and this to solve your problem. He would identify what my problem was, no matter what we talked about, whether it be about school, about work. He'd say, you know what your problem is? Let me, let me tell you how to fix it. He felt like he had a moral high ground over, um, over our conversations. And that is a feeling that we can have sometimes when we use this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. The scripture that we read uh, this morning talks about a work ethic, an ethic where we are called to work. Uh, so this is what we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, <clears throat> Uh, starting in verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do all, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. 
Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do more. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you to, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. See, the book of Thessalonians, Paul was writing this book, and Paul was addressing a specific issue that was happening at this church. This letter that Paul wrote is considered to be one of the first letters that he had written. Um, the early church, when these believers were in a city called Thessalonica, when they were all together, they felt like Jesus' return was imminent. That Jesus was coming back from heaven immediately. And they were so focused on Jesus' second coming. That they felt like they didn't have to work. They didn't have to do anything. All they had to focus on was the second coming of the Lord. And by focusing on the second coming of the Lord, they didn't have to worry about one another. They didn't have to worry about anything else. They just were excited to be in heaven with the Lord. That is it. That was what their focus was. But Paul is saying you can't live like that. He's saying you're called to work with your hands. So Paul here is clearly giving us a work ethic. He's telling us how we as Christians are called to work. There is a, a work ethic when you look at the Bible. When you read the Bible carefully, um, it clearly comes across as a work ethic. Max Weber, he's a sociologist. Um, it's a fancy word uh, for a profession. Sociologist means someone who studies people and makes a lot of money out of it. All right, so this was Max Weber, uh, and he wrote a book called um, The Protestant Work Ethic and the Rise of Capitalism. And what he noted in this, uh, especially looking at America and how capitalism was working in America, was he noted that Protestants were benefiting from capitalistic structure that is there because they had a work ethic that was very different from their Catholic brothers and sisters. He saw that the Protestant work ethic was understood this way. He said that most Protestants looked at work as God's doing. They looked at work. They looked at their own talents and said, God has given me this talent and I will do my best to glorify God. That God has given me a talent to be a teacher and I will do my best to be the best teacher I can be because in being a teacher, I'm glorifying God. God has given me the grace to be a mechanic, an engineer, to be a banker. And I am going to work as hard as I can to glorify my God. And because of that sense of understanding of the gifts and talents within the Protestant church, <clears throat> they were able to make money is what uh, Max Weber noted. But let me just stop, pause and ask this question again to us. You heard that conversation, right? Like, especially when our kids are going off to college. Like, what do we say to them? Like, what, what do you want to do? God has given you so many talents. Go do it, right? We challenge them. This is part of our church. This is part of our conversations that we impart for our young adults. Um, and we tell them, go do it. Be a blessing wherever you are. Use your talents to glorify God. That is part of the Protestant 
work ethic that Max Weber was talking about. So, but what does this phrase mean for us? In the context of that work ethic that I just mentioned, what does this phrase mean for us? God helps those who help themselves. What do we do with that? Do we just resign to this cliche and say, all right, work hard. God helps those who help themselves. End of story. Or is there another mandate for us to consider? Is there something else that we need to look at? This morning, friends, I want to argue that the Bible gives us another mandate. And I want to share with you this story uh, from the Bible, from the New Testament, that literally flies in the face of this cliche. The story goes like this. I'm reading from Luke chapter 5, verses 15 through 26. Hear these words. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of, of Galilee, from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, so that, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Many of us heard this story. We heard this story. We, we have heard sermons about this story. We've heard them and we have done our own Bible devotions. We read the story. We heard the story in, New Te in, um, in our Sunday school classes. I want to focus on four individuals here. The paralyzed man his friends, Jesus, and the crowd. The paralyzed man, he was at the mercy of those around him. He could not move. He could not cook for himself. He was just laying on his bed. Even if he was aware that Jesus was in town, even if he heard that this Jesus is a miracle worker, that he was traveling the entire region of Capernaum, and healing the sick, he could not do anything about it. He was in no way able to get himself to Jesus. He was in no way able to channel all the inner strength that he had so that he could somehow 
being in Jesus' presence. Sometimes when we talk about not helping God, helping those who help themselves, sometimes we forget that maybe, maybe those people that we might be judging might be paralyzed. Their life feels unfair to them. Their life has been unfair to them. And they feel paralyzed. They feel like they're unable to move or do anything to help their situation or their families. They just cannot help themselves and wonder if God would ever help them. The paralyzed man in the story would have been able to relate his story to that sense of hopelessness to these people that we might be looking at, that we might encounter. He might say to them, I know what you're going through. I was in your place just laying there waiting for something to happen. I could not do anything. I just needed to be redeemed, but I could not do it on my own. I needed a Savior to touch me, and there was no way I could get his attention. The cliche, God helps those who help themselves, does not work here. Now let's move to the friends. These are some remarkable friends. These are some incredible friends. Look at their persistence. First, they learn about Jesus. They figured out that Jesus had something in him that his friend needed. And Luke is intentional in kind of giving us a clue as to what these friends knew about Jesus. Verse 17, this is what we read. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. The friends knew that Jesus had the power to heal their paralyzed buddy who was laying on the mat, unable to help himself. These friends knew that Jesus had the power to heal him. So they decided to carry him. They carried their friend on the mat and took him to the house. And the scripture this morning indicates that the house was filled with people. And they couldn't, and Jesus could not be reached. So they carried the paralyzed man on the mat onto the roof. And they tore open the roof and they lowered the man down to Jesus. I love their resilience. And I wonder what the conversation might have been, right? As they're trying to figure out how to take their friend from the ground to the roof and then lower him. What did they talk about? Did one guy say, hey, why don't we just hang back, man? Let's just stay here. Jesus will eventually come out of the house. Then maybe he can, you know, heal our friend. Or did another guy say, no, we are getting him to Jesus no matter what. No matter what, we are going to make sure that Jesus, that this guy, our buddy, is in front of Jesus. They did not take no for an answer. Friends, when we see people who cannot help themselves... We need to carry them to Christ. Work tirelessly so that they might be in the presence of Jesus. The question this morning for us to struggle is, do you know someone who's paralyzed and is in need of healing from the Savior? And friends, are you willing to do everything in your power? 
to carry that person to Christ? Are you willing to do everything you can to carry that person to Christ? The third person I want to focus on is Jesus. I love Jesus in this story. The entire miracle is pretty phenomenal. There are so many theological conversations that we can have between the thoughts of the Pharisees and how Jesus addressed them. There's a lot to unpack. But this morning, I want to focus on one thing that Jesus did when he saw the paralyzed man being lowered from the ceiling all the way in front of him. See, Jesus, when this guy was being lowered, Jesus was aware of his condition. Jesus was aware that this man who's being lowered down is sinful. Jesus knew everything. Jesus knew that this individual cannot help himself. Jesus knew all that. But look what Jesus saw. See, I want you to focus on what Jesus saw. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Seeing the faith of his friends is what heals the paralyzed man. The person, that healing to that one person came because of what the friends did. Jesus didn't look at the paralyzed man's condition and feel bad for him and healed him. No. He looked at the faith of the friends and healed him. He saw the, the faith of the people who carried Jesus. He saw the faith of the friends who carried the paralyzed man. That's what Jesus saw. Finally, this crowd. In this story, the crowd, um, in this story, um, one thing that's missing, and I wish I was there to actually witness it. I wish I was there to actually hear and see how everything transpired, right? Imagine this for a second with me. Like, Jesus, you, you are the homeowner, and you invited Jesus to come into your house, and you're excited to host him. And pretty soon you know that some of your friends wanted to come hang out with Jesus, and they come into your house. And now you're entertaining a few of your friends, and then slowly your neighbors show up, and then some other people, the entire town, shows up into your living room. Just imagine that for a second. Right? And nothing is said about this in the story. It's bad enough that you have complete strangers in your house, in your living room. And now, all of a sudden, somebody's tearing up your roof? Like, what did that guy do? Did he get upset? Like, did they fix the roof again after the healing was done? Did the guy who walked up go back and put the tile? Like, they ripped open the tiles, too. Anyway, I digress, all right? But let's look at the response of the crowd. Look at the response of the crowd as this miracle unfolds. Verse 26. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Friends, when we carry someone to Jesus, not only does that person get healing and is touched by the Savior, but those around him give God the glory. They are filled with awe and they praise God. This morning, I want to ask you this question again. Is there someone in your circle who needs Jesus?
They cannot get themselves to Jesus. Is God nudging you this morning to carry someone into the presence of Jesus? I heard this story about caring for the homeless. There is a small nonprofit uh, that began to work to reduce homelessness in the metro D.C. area. And a group of us were meeting with them um, to hear about their work. Their whole idea, uh, the way they approach homelessness is they take volunteers and they at night would go into different parks because that's when most homeless people end up sleeping on parks. And I heard this story from a man who was homeless. He told our group, I was homeless. I was at the bottom. I was struggling. There was no way I could do anything to get out of it. I had given up all hope. And then one night, there's this one gentleman came up to me and said, will you allow me to help you? He said, will you allow me to help you? And I said, yes. I said, yes. And he said, that night, this gentleman took me back to the shelter <clears throat> where they were. And then they worked with me. I got a job. And more importantly, I was able to find a home through this organization. All because someone was willing to carry someone without no hope and homeless and give them hope. Friends, when you carry someone who's crippled, hopeless to Christ, God is glorified. That individual is redeemed. That person's sins are forgiven all because you were a friend who was willing to carry that person to Jesus. I hope that you will be that friend to someone in your life. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way you call us. God, we ask that you would give us the courage and the strength to be a friend, to carry someone. into your presence. Give us strength, God. Give us that resilience and persistence. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.